going to read the word of God as we have it in the first letter of John and chapter 3. We're coming to the end of this chapter uh, today. We're going to read from verse 9 through to the end of the chapter. This is 1 John uh, chapter 3 and uh, at verse 9. I don't have a notice sheet here so I can't tell you the page number but if you have one it tells you the page number in the church Bibles. 1 John chapter 3 at verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because, or maybe perhaps better, in that he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. In that, we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. May God bless his word to us this evening. In this sort of central section of First John, we have John talking about the, what we can call, what one author called his commentary, the tests of life. Three main tests here. Are we truly God's children? The tests are righteousness, obedience, there in chapter 3. Love, then later on in chapter 3. And then, going into chapter 4, you have the test of, are we really believing in the Lord, true Lord Jesus Christ? The doctrinal test, but it's more than doctrine, it's about a relationship with Christ. Those tests are found throughout First John, but they're concentrated here. And having spoken of two of them, John, going on from love, exhorts us to love in those verses 16 to 20, and therefore says that if we do love our brothers, that is to lead to our heart reassurance 
that we are God's people, that we are, as he calls it in verse 9, born of God, that we are children of God, verse 10, that we do have eternal life, verses 14 and 15. Love, righteousness, and then love, these tests of life. And this confidence that we are, as we have been singing tonight, uh, that we are God's children, has three important consequences. When I was preaching here last time, uh, we saw the first of these in verses 19 to 20. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. In other words, that we can be reassured despite our individual sins that we are God's children because we know that God knows that we love him. And we come to the second and third consequences then tonight of this assurance that we are God's children. And the first is confidence and prayer then in verses 21 to 22. John says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. You see how he's the contrast with the verse before. If your heart condemns you because of your sins, you are to reassure yourself that as a child of God, God knows everything and he has forgiven your sins. But there are times, I hope many times in our lives, where we are not condemned because of particular sins that we are aware that we have committed and we have not repented of and we have not confessed. And then, in those times, which is to be our normal walk, we are to have confidence toward God. We have been singing of that, haven't we? How we can confidently approach him how we can confidently uh, speak with him, how we can confidently worship him, how we can confidently pray to him. We'll come to prayer in a moment. This assurance of God's knowledge of us and love for us is essential so that we can approach him. And particularly that we can come before him in prayers we'll come to in a moment. We are to be confident. Why are we confident? How can we confidently approach God? Well, let me say just two things at this point. First, because we have the right to do so in Christ. He talks here about praying, uh, and he talks in many places, about praying in his name, in Christ's name. And to pray in Christ's name is to come as one who is in Christ and to ask for those things which we know are Christ's will, because he has revealed in his word that they are his will, and that we can ask because we have the confidence that these things, God says, ask for this. So we ask for this. And we have the right in Christ to speak to the living God and make requests to him, and that is an immense privilege. The right to do that and secondly that we can have confidence he will accept us in Christ and he will answer our prayers that are made according to his revealed will. And so we have to come first confessing our known sins, that's chapter 1 and verse 9 and we also have to come asking sincerely that the matter of prayer and which prayers are answered is scattered in a sense through the New Testament. Jesus spoke of this uh, in the discourse in John 13, 14, 15, 16. Uh, John is speaking of it here. There are other passages. James puts it like this, James 1 and verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
And, and, and we are to come, in other words, confident that God will hear and answer what we pray as he has told us to pray. That we will receive what we ask when we ask aright. And whatever, verse 22, we ask, we receive from him. Now, you see, you get a, a, a phrase like that and you start thinking, don't you? How many prayers have I prayed to God over my life which he hasn't said yes to? But we do have to look at it in the, conf- in the context. This is not a blanket promise. You can ask God for anything and he will do it. Go on, there's only a comma there if there's that. Because, or again, better, in that, this is what it's really saying. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. In that, we keep, that is present tense, we are keeping his commandments and doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. John says, if our hearts are not condemning us, if our hearts are right in not condemning us, as we walk through our daily life, It is because we are keeping God's commandments and doing what is pleasing in his sight. If we're not doing that, our hearts will condemn us. So if we are in the state where we are walking, not in any particular desire, known sinful desire or action, but simply as we should be seeking, and it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Seeking to keep God's commandments and thus to please him because that's what pleases him then he will give us what we ask. In that, this is what we are doing. In other words, he will give us what we ask in order that we can keep his commands and do what pleases him. There you see, that's restricted from a great deal, isn't it, of what we can ask, but it's brought it down to the things we know he will answer. That God will give us grace to obey him and please him if we truly seek him that he will give us strength to do so, that he will give us wisdom to do so, to do his will, to obey his commands, if that's truly what we are seeking to do. Not just a matter of words, is it? We have sung, you have given us a place to pray, now give us hearts, a place of prayer, give us hearts to pray. So that if you can say in Christ, Lord, I want, I see your word, I want to obey it. Think of Psalm 119 and the psalmist loving God's law, loving his commandments, wanting to to run in that way, wanting to please God. This is how we should always be. And if we are, we can say, Lord, here I am, a weak person who is beset by the world, the flesh and the devil, and, and I'm not going to be able to carry on in this path of obedience and pleasing you, which I want to do, unless you give me what I need in my soul to do so. And it's corporate, because he says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So, and whatever we ask, we receive from him in that we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So you don't just pray for yourself. You see how it flows out of love. You pray for God's people. You pray for one another that we might be able, that, that the church of Jesus Christ, this church uh, and others, might be able to keep God's commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. Lord, help us to do this 
in this sinful world? Is that the burden of your prayers? To obey God's commands, to do what pleases him is righteousness. That takes us back, doesn't it, in verses 4 to 10. It is not saying, when we say, what does please God? What pleases God? It's to obey his commandments. What pleases God is to do his will, but where is his will found? His will is found in the word. We do not need to find more of his will by mystical means. We are told, in we've been studying some of us Colossians, so it's in my head all the time. Colossians 1 and verses 9 to 10, Paul praying, that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work. There it is, you see. It's, it's the same as, uh, as John is saying here, isn't it? Pleasing God is obeying God. And we need strength to do so from God. And the Lord Jesus taught this. In John 15, where he says in verse uh, 7, as he teaches his disciples there, and therefore, of course, through them he teaches us. John 15 and verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. If you are, if my words are so in you that they are directing what you want to do, then you can ask and you will receive. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I appointed, chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. What do we ask the Father for that he had promised he would give us? The grace to go and forth and bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, in his name. For what we need to obey, that's what we have to, this is name it and claim it, isn't it? but not in the way that people speak. They just thought I'd throw that phrase in to wake everybody up who's falling asleep. But you see, we could say, Lord, here, you name. You name what I am to ask for. And I can claim that you will give me what you tell me you will give me. Grace, strength, every grace, every working in order to do your will. In other words, as it says here, to do those things that are pleasing in God's sight, not to do what is pleasing in my sight. Remember James again, James 4, verses 2 and 3, where he says, Your riches, uh, sorry, but wrong, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. That, this is the absolute key, isn't it? This is what we have to do. We have to ask believingly for God's grace within us. Remember Paul again, Ephesians 3 and verses 16 and 17, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Many other precious things. We're told pray for this. But it's all encompassed in what is being said here. That we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. How, how much though, how insidiously, but it's not really the word I want because it's much more like a flood. Floods aren't usually insidious, are they? 
how, how like a flood has come into the Christian church. The idea that we don't have to be careful to keep the commandments of God. And that really pleasing God is something, how much do you hear about that Christ, the point of us being as Christians and the point of being here on earth as Christians is to please God, to do what pleases him. Let me give you an illustration because the context is prayer. Some of you may get offended. But if you're offended, you need to be. We are praying, we have been praying for years, haven't we, for another pastor. And that is right. And God hasn't given us one yet. Look at your prayers. I'm not saying all of them. I'm not saying everybody. I just say, I don't know who, who I'm reaching here. Look at your prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? You might not have put it in these words, but this is effectively what we're saying. Lord, send a pastor who is going to lead the worship in a way that pleases me. Now, if you ever thought that that's exactly what you've prayed, you need to take that prayer, you need to look at it from every angle, and you need to see its ghastly sinfulness. Because it is exactly the opposite of what you should be praying. You should be. We should all be praying, Lord, send a pastor who will lead worship in a way that pleases you. Now, this is only one example, but I've picked it because it's important. But it is only one example. Examine your prayers. What are you seeking for? There are two things essential to believing prayer. One is faith in God's love and the other is obedience to his will. And if you are walking and you have confidence toward God and you are walking and you think I'm walking aright and you keep having prayers and they're not answered, check, are you really praying for grace to walk in God's ways and to please him? And to obey his commandments, or are you praying according to your own sinful desires? And we all need to do that all the time. But if our, because it's possible, you see, for your hearts not to condemn you. But the problem is because your heart isn't right. It doesn't condemn you. And if you have your heart searched by the word of God, you might see that you are going far astray from God when you think you're walking with him. That's the first point, confidence and prayer. Let's move on to confidence and obedience, though it's difficult to get titles here. These three tests, as we said, are coming together. Righteousness, love, and the test of whether it is the true Lord Jesus Christ who we are trusting in. And John says in verse 23, excuse me, verse 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. I'm not going to say too much on the second half of this verse because we've been covering it in detail. But look at the first half. God's commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. Now more is going to be said in, in the first six verses of chapter four about this, but the name of. These, these little phrases you can skip over, can't you? Sometimes in, in the Old Testament, where you might expect the Lord, you have the name of the Lord. Here you might expect 
uh, that we believe in his son Jesus Christ, in the name of. What, what is the emphasis here? The emphasis is to bring us up short and to think, what does the name mean? When we have the name of the Lord in the Old Testament, we call on the name of the Lord. We read people right from Genesis. Men began to call on the name of the Lord right, right from the time of Seth onwards. The name. What is God's name? Jehovah, the Lord, the Eternal One. You see what it's saying? It's saying people began to call on the name of the Lord, not just thinking there is a God there, but calling on the true God, the existing God, as the word really means, the living God, the living and true God, as I probably often use the phrase. And here is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's think about that. For a start here, it's his son, Jesus Christ. The name of God's son, God's eternal son, who became Jesus of Nazareth, a man, to become the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed saviour from God. So the three things are there, aren't they? The divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and the mission of Christ, the successful mission of Christ, the Messiah, the Christ, the uniter, the one who brings us back to God. And again, you see, it's important, isn't it? John is saying, as I say, there's much more to come. This is just touching on it, really. He's saying, make sure that when you hear of people talking of Christ, well, people can talk of Christ in many ways. I don't just mean using it as a swear word. But people can talk of Christ is it the real Christ? When you have fellowship with someone who says, oh, I believe in Christ, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Son of God, is it the real one? And the, But the point is that John is not saying test other people, he's saying test yourself. And the three things come together. This is his commandment, obedience, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, true faith in true Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. These are the three commands which the Christian will do. Let me do an aside before I go on to the next verse, though. It is the Christian will do this, but if you are not a believer here tonight... It is God's commandment that you believe on the name of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not an optional extra. The gospel is a gracious invitation. It is also a command. God commands, we read elsewhere, every man to repent. Here we read God commands everyone to believe on Christ. There are people, aren't there, that I don't know you have so much of it, but I, I dare say it's still plentifully around. People would say, well, the problem, this guy is a good man and he hasn't rejected Christ, but he's an honest doubter, the phrase came up in Victorian, it was invented in Victorian times. You can't be an honest doubter. You can be ignorant of the gospel. If you know the gospel and you don't believe it, you are a dishonest doubter. Because you are actually turning away from the testimony God has given and rejecting it. No, doubt is a sin. Unbelief is a sin. You need to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. If you reject him, 
You are sinning, you are adding to your sin. But let's come back to believers here in verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he, uh, uh, he says, and he in him. That is, we abide in God, and God abides in us. This is the person then who keeps God's commandments. He abides in God. There it is in chapter 2 and verse 6 where we read, He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ, what he said? As he spoke of his relationship with the Father, his, his experiential relationship with the Father. John 8 and verse 29 He is always with me. Why? Because I always do what pleases him. We can't say that. But we can say, he is with me in as much as I please him. And that is important because, again, our hearts can be so deceptive. And you can have people whose whole attitude is, I I, I really have a good relationship with God and yet you look at them and you see that their life is is completely off track. And we have to be careful then it's not ourselves. We can be deceived. We can be deceived into thinking that we are abiding in God and God is living in us and everything is alright and we are not keeping his commandments. John says if you find the two things you think you're, you, you have a relationship with God and you're not keeping his commandments, you know it's the first one where you've got it wrong. The second one you've got it wrong as well because you should keep his commandments. You see who it is who abides in God and us in him. It is not the mystic. It is not the person who says, I have this mystical, up here, emotional relationship with God which is in some sort of cloud. It is the person who is humbly obeying God and obeying his commandments. Let me put it to you like this. You cannot be deeper into God than his word is into you. That's what John is saying here. His commandment is, we believe in the name of his son and love one another and he who keeps his commandments abides in him and God will abide in him. God is not in the false prophet who denies the Son, but nor is he in the person who says, Jesus Christ is my Saviour, and does not obey the commandments of God. For, John says, this is the one who abides in him, and God abides in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. How do we know that God is living in us? How do we know this abiding of God in us? We know it by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom he gives us. Who he gave us, and we can look at it rightly in the past tense. Whom he gave us in the new birth in order to dwell in us. Think again, just for a moment believer, of the situation that you were in and what happened to you. There you were at some age, whatever age it was, and you were walking around in this world and you didn't love God and you didn't love his word and you didn't care about him or maybe you you did think that he was there and you took it seriously that there is a God 
but you didn't know where to find him and you were full of doubts and you were full of fears and you were off in all sorts of directions and though we may have been very different from each other the basic problem is we were dead in transgressions and sins and then somehow by God's grace uh, and but from our experience somehow sometime God came with his spirit and we were born again of the spirit and our whole life changed and we are those who know God and we are those who love him and we are those who desire to obey his commandments and we are those who can say truly he, he lives within us. You remember how the Lord Jesus said this? How he taught in John 14. Uh, and again to the disciples on that night before his crucifixion, how many great things he taught them. And here he says, John 14, verse 17, he says this, of the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Then he goes on in verse 23 to say, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Note that. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The indwelling of the son and the father by the Holy Spirit within us. And this is us, isn't it? If you're a believer tonight, the Holy Spirit didn't just come and do some work of changing your heart, wonderful though that would be, and say, as it were, like winding up a clock, uh, I've done that now, get on with it. Because how could we get on with it? How could we live the Christian life? How can we live the Christian life? Only by the working of the Holy Spirit within us, whom he has given us. What a gracious word is, is slipped in almost there, isn't it? God has given us his spirit. What an amazing thought. The third person of the Trinity, the, the third person of the ineffable Godhead has come and God has given him to us as a gift in order that by him we can please God. We can keep his commands. We can know God. We can know that we can know that it is truly God who is abiding in us. That this all this Christianity is not some great deception, some mass hallucination which has afflicted millions upon millions of people across the world in every culture down for two thousand years, which would be pretty well impossible to believe anyway, wouldn't it? Mass hallucinations affect small groups of people who are in the same building usually, but but. We know. How do we know? Because we know God's Holy Spirit in us. Because it is God's Spirit by whom we commune with the Father and the Son. Here it is in Romans again, Romans 8 and verses 9 to 10, where Paul says in that great chapter, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, who is the Spirit of God, he is nothing, none of his. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Doesn't that link in with what John is saying here? 
We can have confidence before God. His Holy Spirit is within us. We cry out, Abba, Father. This brings us right back to our first hymn, doesn't it? With confidence we now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. And by that Holy Spirit whom God has given us, the Holy Spirit, we love and we obey. The Spirit of truth has given us the word and by him we believe and we respond to the commandments of God. This is a full-orbed salvation, isn't it? God has given us his Son and we trust in him and he has given us his Spirit by whom we live for him and with him and in fellowship with him, which is eternal life that we know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So the first thing I'd say as I close very briefly two things. The first is make sure you are alive. Make sure you are truly alive. Make sure that you have God's life in you. Make sure that you are trusting in the name of his son. And secondly, if you are, then then look at your life. Are you keeping God's commandments? Are you doing what is pleasing in his sight? Are you loving the brothers. Are you doing all this by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is this your desire? Is it your mourning when you don't do it right? Don't do it enough, even by your poor standards, let alone God's perfect standards. Live in love, live in righteousness. By faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And that is how we can have confidence before God. And know his presence in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you should look on sinners such as us. And you should give us your son and you should give us your Holy Spirit. And you should come and dwell within us. And you should do all these things, O God. Why have you done all these things? If we say why, we cannot answer if we think of why did you do it, but if we think of why have you done it, what is your purpose, we see that it is that we obey your commandments. Do what pleases you, and thus bring you glory in this fallen world as those whose citizenship is in heaven, living a different life from all around us, living the life of God out from the soul of man. Help us so to do, we pray, O Lord, and to do so more and more for your great name's sake.